are for leading us this morning. You're reminding us that daily we must be still and acknowledge God is God. Be still and know that I am God, says the scripture. Today's text is found in your New Testament in six, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 through 15. I'll let you know when we get to that point in the message and uh, invite you to follow along with me. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. As many of you know, Melanie and I are from South Carolina. Well, she was born and raised there. I moved there when I was just past first grade. And she and I met at Winthrop College, now university, dated all through school, and then waited a year and got married the following summer after graduation. It gave me a little time to pay off some of the debts that I had racked up in school. Some of the things were like books and tuition and whatnot, but a lot of the other things I had just plunked down on credit cards and had racked up a lot of debt. So it gave us an opportunity to save some and for me to be in a much better financial position when we got married. I got a job with an insurance company as a claims adjuster, and they sent me to a town called Orangeburg, South Carolina. It's about midway between Columbia and Charleston. At first, the assignment was temporary, and I convinced Melanie that I would only be there for maybe six months or so. Well, that six months turned into a permanent assignment, and after we were married, then we rented a townhouse and ended up spending five years there. We joined First Baptist Church Orangeburg, where we were invited to be part of the youth ministry. We taught Sunday school to 11th and 12th graders for a number of years there. It ended up being home. One day, our youth pastor asked me if I would take part in a skit. And I wasn't much the actor. I'd never been in a skit like she was talking about. But I, I'd do anything for Cheryl. So I said I would do it. And then she says, well, I want you to play Jesus. So first she asked me to say yes. And then she says I was to play Jesus. But she said, Bob, you don't need to say a thing. So okay. The skit took place in the center of the gymnasium in our family life center. The church had constructed a beautiful family life center. It even had a pool. It had a softball field, full court basketball, and all the bells and whistles that a small town would, would ever want. And so we gathered that evening after a big meal. The congregation was all around in a circle in the gym. And in the center was a table. Behind the table stood a couple. And there was a large sheet cake on the table. And Cheryl said, Bob, as Jesus, I want you to get in line. There will be a lot of people behind you. I think 20, 25, 30, a lot of people. And I went up to the table and held out my plate to get a piece of the sheet cake. It was sort of like going up at a birthday party for 38-year-olds to get my piece of cake. And when I got to the table, the couple looked at themselves and, and they said, um, could you go back in the line a little bit? And I said, well, sure. So I, I got back in the line. And then the 
mortgage company came up and got a big piece of cake. The IRS stepped up and got a big piece of cake. The car loan folks stepped up and got their piece of cake. Then came me and they looked at me and they said, would you, would you mind going back, me being Jesus? Quietly, I went back in line. The power company, the student loan company came up, another car loan company, the replacement window company, and got their pieces of the cake, and then I got back up to my place, and would you mind if just go back a little bit? And I did the vinyl siding company and the retirement savings and the dining room suit and the medical bills all walked up and got their cake, the car insurance and even a cruise got their piece of cake. And when I, playing Jesus, finally stepped back up to the table with my empty plate, the couple looked down at the crumbs that were left over and then looked at me and there were no words necessary. The skit was part of our church's emphasis on giving. The church had invested in this new Family Life Center complex just a little down the road from the church and they were trying to finish off what they had started to continue the underwriting process of paying for all of that. And this skit was part of an evening to help encourage the church to finish what they had started to make good on the commitments to the financials on that life center. The scripture lesson for today is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians to encourage them to finish what they had started. They had promised to make an offering to give an offering to the Jerusalem church, the mother church, to help them in their time of need, but they hadn't followed through on it, so Paul is encouraging him in his letter. In his commentary on this passage, Dr. Cecil Sherman, one of my professors in seminary, reminds us, and he says, quote, that the Corinthians were in some ways a troubled congregation. Corinth was a commercial hub, and commerce creates money. The text, he writes, is Paul's appeal to the Corinthian Christians to give an offering. He was gathering for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. In contrast to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, which was sharp and sometimes severe, this part of the letter, 2 Corinthians, appeals to them in a gentle, warm, and pastoral way. A little background on the offering, we might go back to chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, and just listen to these words, and then I'll, I will get into chapter 9. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So he's using the Macedonians as an example to spur on the Christians in Corinth. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. 
they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They begged to give. Let us give, Paul is writing about them. And verse 5 says, And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and, and then by the will of God also for us, as Paul writes. The Jerusalem church was the mother church. There was a severe famine in the region of Jerusalem. Famine coupled with persecution of the Jewish Christians there most likely caused the church to struggle to meet its needs. So Paul would encourage the newer churches comprised of new converts, Gentile believers through the Mediterranean region to give their help to the Jewish Christian sisters and brothers in the mother church. Today we might look at this as cooperative missions. Churches joining together to support the greater causes of mission through our denominational partners like the Virginia Baptists, uh, locally in Richmond Association, and this Cooperative Baptist Fellowship on a national basis. So we are seeing these churches come together in an unprecedented way. Paul used the Corinthian Christians to encourage the Macedonians at first, but as it turns around, now the Macedonians were used to encourage the Corinthians to finish what they had started because about a year had gone by since they had pledged to give and they had not followed through. And that leads, uh, leads us to chapter 9 as we read verses 1 through 5 for our setup. Paul writes, there is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling, the, uh, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. So the Corinthians motivated the Macedonians. But I am sending the brothers to you, sending people back to them, in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonian comes with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, we would be ashamed of having been so confident. Verse 5, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it would be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Finish what you have started. This describes a generous gift that they had committed themselves to. The word ge translated generous here in verses 5 and 6 is the Greek word eulogia. It literally means blessing. One meaning of the word is good words. It's where we would derive the word eulogy when we speak good words about someone who has died. Eulogy. But here the word is used to speak of good deeds which come in the form of an offering for the Christians in the Jerusalem church. Paul compares this, or contrasts actually, this word with the word phidomenos in verse 6, 
which means sparingly or stingily. You'll hear that in just a minute. When I hear the word stingy, I think of the cold-hearted Ebenezer Scrooge in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Generosity is what we are called to be about. Generosity, we would say, is defined as the unselfish giving and sharing of resources, time and talents with others. It is the complete opposite of stinginess or being stingy. In today's world, there is much emphasis on self-preservation. And we see a lot of self-centeredness, a lot of stinginess in our culture today. People looking out for me, myself, and I. Scarcity is used in advertising and marketing so that we are convinced that we must rush out immediately because there's a small inventory on the lot and we've got to go get it now or it's going to be gone. All the while, we acquire more and more debt. We spend more and more of our resources and people who are truly in need receive less and less. The gap between the haves and the have-nots grows deep and wide. And the least of these that Matthew writes about in chapter 25 get the crumbs that are left over and might be lucky if they can scrape a taste of the icing that's on the perimeter of the cardboard plat, plat, uh, plate that held the cake. But the kingdom of God that we speak of and that we understand in Scripture is so abundant. The kingdom of God is the opposite of what the world says and does. We as Christians, we know in Scripture and we know as we worship together that we get rich by giving away. The kingdom grows by emptying itself. Harvest comes when God's economy invades our economy and when the ways of the culture around us are uh, not the way that we practice and live out our faith. In early September, our worship began in the sanctuary with a small basket of apples up here on the stage. Day by day through the fall, as we have worshipped together, our worship team has added fruit and vegetables, produce, along with a key word for each Sunday to help us be pointed to the kingdom of God and the way that we are called to live in this world, not only as Christian people, but as Christian in church, but out in, in the world. We see words each Sunday come up like reconciliation and grace and generosity and righteousness and freedom and love of neighbor and holiness and communion and today's word harvest. While advertisers and marketers prey on fear and scarcity to capitalize on the vulnerable, in God's economy there is abundance. There is abundant grace and mercy and justice and righteousness as we seek to live on earth as it is in heaven. As we look outside the windows and drive down the road, as we leave from church, we will see trees that are dropping their leaves, a reminder that the seasons are changing and that winter is coming. But on the inside, there is abundance. There is a reminder of the richness of the kingdom of God and the harvest that continues to come as we worship an abundant, giving, generous God. 
generosity will bring more and more of the kingdom to this broken and hurting earth. I pray that we will live on earth as it is in heaven. Today's passage teaches us that there are some things we can do practically as we go about this kingdom living. I would say the first practical implication is that we are most like God when we give. Our God is a giving God. Our God gave his one and only son that we might have life and have it abundantly. We are most like God when we give. Starting at chapter 9, verse 6, and reading through verse 7, Paul writes, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The principle of sowing and reaping. That which is sown will reap a harvest. So you and I know that we are to sow generously and we will reap generously, that we might share with others in kingdom living. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Sometimes when we give, people will wonder, why? Why did you do that? What's the purpose? What are you trying to get from me? And those opportunities are when we might be able to say, listen, you know, I give because I'm a Christian and that's just the way we are. That's just the way we are. God loves a cheerful giver. And the word translated cheerful comes from the Greek word hilarion, which is where we get the word hilarious. And you might say giving is hilarious. Now, after I shared this in the early service, one of our medical folks came up to me and says, Bob, there's medical proof for what you said. And she said uh, she attended a conference where a psychologist said that laughter is a stress reducer. And she said that this clinical psychologist said that if you're stressed out and you're driving your car, come up to a stoplight and just induce a big belly laugh and just start laughing uncontrollably. People will look at you like, what is going on? And they will start to laugh. And your body will release endorphins and you will just feel the stress lifted. So I just want to ask you today to give it a try right now. Get that big belly laugh and just laugh like, oh, there's, oh my word, it's so funny. Ah! Oh my, oh Phil, I don't know if I can control myself any longer. Jeff, you got to play something, brother. I, I'm just, it's just, oh. Oh, my word. Whew. Oh, let me get a drink of water here. Mm, mm. Oh. oh, God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah. God enables us to be generous. God does. I'm sorry, Isabel, that I embarrass you today as your dad. I will pay this week, I am sure. Verses 8 and 9, Paul writes, and, uh, it is because it is, it is God who enables us to be generous. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, 
They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. See, God loves a cheerful giver. We are most like God when we give. God is the one who enables us to be generous. God is able. And the third implication is that generosity in the name of Jesus advances the kingdom of God. I I am convinced that when you and I give with no strings attached, whether it's money, whether it's time, talents, in the name of Jesus, that the kingdom is advanced. People will want to know why. And that will open the door for you and me to share with them the reason for the hope we have. Verses 10 through 15. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. God is the one who supplies it. God will make it grow. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The word thanksgiving is the word for Eucharist, Eucharisto. It points to God and results in thanksgiving to God. When you and I as a church give to missions, when we do things through the Baptist centers, like right now our congregation is collecting things for the Christmas store, and I don't know how many bicycles, but each year our congregation provides a number of bicycles for those who are in need. When we put things... um, and to the community like the clinic here where hundreds of people come to get services medically and food and goods and services and all these things, haircuts. And when we do that in Oregon Hill uh, to minister to the homeless, uh, uh, the people we touch as a church thank God for that. They praise God for that. They give God the glory and there's thanksgiving because of, of generosity. And, and the, they will be praying for the work that we are called to do here as a church and that reaps blessings on us as a congregation. There's power in in generosity. This service that you perform, verse 12, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God, you hear that, will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with anyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. In verse 15, thanks be to God, Eucharisto, for his his indescribable gift, and that gift is the person of Jesus Christ. I want to point out one word in verse 12, the, this service that you perform. The, the word in the Greek is two words put together, laos and ergon. Laos is work, refers to the people, the laity, laos, and ergon is the, the word for work, ergonomics, laos, ergon, and together in the Greek is li. Torgios, liturgios, and it simply is, it's where we get the word liturgy. 
Often we think a liturgy is a prescribed order of worship, prayers and readings and psalms and creeds that or confessions that churches follow and so forth. But liturgia refers to our worship of God at, here in the text as service to others and giving to others. So we worship together in this place corporately as God's family, but as we go from here living out a life of generosity, we are living a lifestyle of worship. It is literally liturgia, the work of God's people. Multiplied generosity. And this results in thanksgiving and praise to God and advances the Redeemer's kingdom. I read a story recently about this lived out. Cheryl was quite surprised when she drove in her pizza delivery car up to a church instead of a house. And she walked into the church with her pizza and took the pizza out and uh, delivered it. And the pastor of the church and some other folks were going to be eating there. But to her surprise, after she gave them the pizza, the pastor took two offering plates filled with cash and poured them into her pizza delivery bag. And he said, we just wanted you to know that we, we understand it's been a rough season for you, and we hope that this might be a help. They poured over $750 into her pizza delivery bag. What Cheryl did not know was that the pastor had called the pizza delivery store and asked, as he placed the order, asked the manager to send their most financially strapped employee to the church on that delivery run. The church had collected an offering specifically for the reason of blessing the delivery driver. Cheryl was overwhelmed. She had been strapped financially, and now she would be able to pay some of her bills. Cheryl then went back and told her employees and, uh, about this and also other customers throughout the day, and she and the others dedicated their tips for the rest of the day to go to help others who are in need, and the whole gift of generosity was paid forward and multiplied. We can only imagine the impact. When we use our plenty to supply another's need, we reflect Jesus who gave away his riches to meet our own spiritual poverty. How might you live out your worship this week? How might you bless others? How might you be generous? How might you live a lifestyle of worship? Liturgia, the work of the people. Let's pray. God in heaven, you meet our needs in some surprising ways. And we thank you that we have this word from the Apostle Paul that can encourage us in our giving and in our generosity, in the use of our time, abilities, and our talents. Maybe this is what worship is all about, living in a community that is so different that worship is a lifestyle. 
encourage us as we go from this place today to make a difference, to live different, to sow seeds that more and more heaven comes to this earth. In Jesus' name.